It's odd to see him like this, just sitting there. He sits and he rests. Now, before 2 Samuel chapter 7, David was incredibly busy. If you read the story, he was busy slaying giants and conquering enemy armies. He was running away from Saul's assassination attempts. It seemed like he was always on the run. But now, with all the battles won, King David now rests in Jerusalem, a city now known as the City of David. Being at rest is new to David. It's strange for David as king. So today he finds himself a little bit fidgety. So he rises from his throne and with the prophet Nathan by his side, they walk to the balcony to look over the kingdom. Looking down from his balcony, David sees the tent outside in front of the royal palace. It's the tent where God dwells with the Ark of the Covenant, the tabernacle. The king lives in a palace while God dwells in a tent. David is embarrassed by this reality. So Nathan encourages the king to build God a temple, a permanent residence. Uh, surely God is ready to rest. Surely God is ready to rest from all his running around, from fighting Israel's battles, leading Israel to this place and then to that place. God must be ready to leave the travels that required his tent, his tent living. And God must be ready to finally put down some roots that are established in one place. It seems that God should rest in a temple as David rests in the palace. Well, that night, Nathan the prophet feels a tap on his shoulder. And it's God. When God begins to talk, there's a touch of agitation in his voice. Um, Nathan, God says, you know this house, this temple you want to build me? It's for me to live in, right? Well, a little nervous, Nathan answers, yes, Lord. And then God says this. God leans in a little closer and says, do you think I should have been consulted about this? Does, not, does my opinion not matter on this topic? Nathan, did it ever occur to you that you humans, does it ever occur to you that I prefer to dwell in a tent, ready to pack up and go at a moment's notice, wherever my people need me to go, that I prefer a tent to a temple? In fact, God literally tells Nathan this in 2 Samuel chapter 6, 7, verses 6 to 7. He likes moving around in a tent. The image is literally that of God walking back and forth. He walked in the wilderness with Israel after they left Egypt. He walked around in the tent throughout the time of the judges. So this isn't a picture of God pacing out of ner nervous worry back and forth. No, when God walks... He walks with intention. Each step is strategic to protect. Each step is strategic to advance his will for his people. You see, God is letting David know that the king follows in God's footsteps and not the other way around. In fact, God lays out the evidence to show Nathan that David is nothing without God's footsteps leading the way. 
Listen to 2 Samuel chapter 7, verses 8 to 11. This is what the Lord of armies says. I myself took you from the pasture, from following the sheep, to be leader over my people Israel. Now notice how David isn't of royal blood. David was a blue-collar boy that God chose to make king. It was God's doing. Back to verse 9. And I have been with you wherever you have gone, and I have eliminated all your enemies from you. I will also make a great name for you, like the names of the great men who are on the earth. And I will establish a place for my people Israel. And I will plant them so they may live in their own place and not be disturbed again. Nor will malicious people oppress them anymore, as previously. Even from the day that I appointed judges over my people Israel, and I will give you rest from all your enemies. The Lord also declares to you that the Lord will make a house for you, David. Eight times in these few verses, God reminds the prophet and the king that they are what they are because of God. And I love the very last line, the Lord will make a house for you, David. What kind of house will God build, David? Well, it's not a house with four walls and a roof. It's a different kind of a dwelling place. In fact, if you look at verse 12 of chapter 7 of 2 Samuel, it says this, When your days are finished and you lie down with your fathers, when you die, David, I will raise up your descendants after you who will come from you. And here it is. And I will establish his kingdom. The house God will build David is a line of sons who will sit on the throne. And verse 16 promises David this. Your house, your kingdom will endure forever before me. Your throne will be established forever. The house God will build David is a dynasty that will last for eternity. Where David wants to build a simple temple, God wants to build David's family tree into a kingdom dynasty. This is something that God's people have longed for for so long that they even ended up writing songs about God building the dynasty of David. Psalm 89 is one of those songs. As I read Psalm 89, portions of it, listen for the promises God makes regarding David's dynasty. Here are verses 1 to 4. I will sing of the Lord's great love forever with my mouth. I will make your faithfulness known through all generations. I will declare that your, that your love stands firm forever, that you have established your faithfulness in heaven itself. You said, I have made a covenant with my chosen one. I have sworn to David, my servant. And listen to what God says. I will establish your line forever and make your throne firm through all generations. Do you hear it? Dynasty. As people sang this song, they clapped, they cheered, they celebrated the promises of God to David. And all that God needed to make this happen were kings. 
Kings willing to follow in God's steps. Faithful kings would lead to a fulfilled promise. And that is what this song of promise, and that's where this song of promise takes a turn to a song of heartbreak. You see, if you jump further down in Psalm 89 and verse 38, the psalmist delivers the awful news to Israel. And here's what it says. But you have rejected me. You have spurned me. You have been very angry with your anointed one. This is God talking, and it's what God has done to Israel. You see, many of the kings on David's family tree were guilty of insubordination against God, rebelling against God's steps. And it was their rebellion that would eventually usher in the day when, because of the Lord's anger, God finally threw them out of his presence. 2 Kings chapter 24, verses 19 to 20. And to Israel, it appears that God has cut the family tree of David down to a stump, leaving the promise of a dynasty unfulfilled. And this causes God's people to cry out the words of Psalm 89, verse 49. O Lord, where is your former great love, which in your faithfulness you swore to David? God, where is your promise of presence? Where is your presence you promised you would dwell with David? Where is your presence that you promised would dwell with your people Israel? And it feels like God has walked away, but things are not always as they appear. God has not broken his promise. In fact, what's happened is Israel's sin has simply delayed its fulfillment. It was never a question of if God would build a dynasty, but when. When will God make good on his promise of a holy dynasty? Well, we find out. When an angel of the Lord makes a promise to an unmarried girl named Mary in Luke chapter 1, verses 26 to 35, it says this, In the sixth month of Elizabeth's pregnancy, the angel Gabriel was sent by God to a town of Galilee called Nazareth, to a virgin engaged to a man whose name was Joseph, a descendant of David, and the virgin's name was Mary. Now, did you catch it? Joseph and Mary are royal branches in David's family tree. Interesting. Verse 28, And the angel came to her and said, Greetings, favored one, the Lord is with you. But she was greatly troubled by his words and began to wonder about the meaning of this greeting. So the angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. Listen, you will become pregnant and give birth to a son, and you will name him Jesus. Now listen to the promises that the angel makes to Mary about this baby. Verse 32. He will be great. He will be called the Son of the Most High, and the Lord will give him the throne of his father David. He will reign forever over the house of Jacob, Israel. And his kingdom? His kingdom will never end. Where where have we heard those promises before? Yeah, they're the promises given. The promises given to Mary are the promises God first gave to David. 
Now, if my explanation has made it difficult to understand what God is doing, maybe it would help if I could show you a picture of what God is doing in Luke 1. Barbara Helen Berger has written a children's Christmas book entitled The Donkey's Dream. It tells the story about the journey that Mary and Joseph made to Bethlehem. It may be a children's book, but it is visually a rich book of theology. In fact, the pictures tell us more than words can convey about the significance of Mary carrying Jesus. As the donkey in the story ambles and dreams, there's a point where we see the donkey carrying a great city, a city that shines like a city on a hill. This great city has many gates for people to enter through from every direction and mighty towers that protect the citizens from harm within the city. And this city is on the back of the donkey. Well, by the end of the story, we come to understand what the donkey was carrying all along. A pregnant woman in a blue robe with spotted stars. Mary carried within her the king, the king who would fulfill God's promise of a kingdom dynasty. Man, I hope you see that. Not only is Jesus the fulfillment of God's promise, I also want you to see that God chose to dwell and do his work in ordinary people, not buildings. Remember, God still prefers to tent in people and not in buildings. Eventually, David's son, King Solomon, builds the temple for God, and God's presence fills that temple. You can actually read about it in 2 Chronicles chapter 7. But there's a time that comes when Israel placed more confidence in the temple than in God. And in response to Israel's misplaced faith, God calls a chariot from heaven and God's presence leaves that temple, never to return to a building again. You can read about this in Ezekiel chapter 10 and chapter 11. God's presence may have left the temple, but in the Christmas story, we see that God still dwells on earth. Instead of a temple, God continues to prefer a tent. In, in John chapter 1, verse 14, it says this, The Word became flesh and made His dwelling. Literally, He tabernacled. He, he tented among us. And we have seen His glory, the glory of the one and only Son, who came from the Father, full of grace and truth. Jesus, the Son of God, first tented in the womb of his mother Mary. And now, God in the flesh, Jesus, Jesus tents in those who place their faith in him. 2 Corinthians chapter 13, verse 5, the Apostle Paul asked the Corinthian believers a question. He says this, Do you not realize about yourselves that Jesus Christ is in you? We might find this phrase, Jesus Christ is in you, surprising, or perhaps we just read it over without even thinking much about it. But what does this phrase mean? What is, what is its importance? What is its importance for our Christian lives today? In saying Jesus Christ is in you, Paul wasn't speaking poetically or metaphorically. He truly meant that Jesus Christ is literally uh, dwelling. Jesus is tenting within believers. 
In Ephesians chapter 3, verses 16 to 17, we learn how this indwelling takes place. Christ's presence within us happens by faith and through the Holy Spirit. We enter into a relationship with Christ by faith. And once we have trusted in Jesus, we are strengthened by the Holy Spirit so that we can both enjoy a relationship with Christ and so we can live for Christ. Now, by tenting, by dwelling in us, what is God seeking to accomplish? Well, in Romans chapter 8, Paul explains how the Holy Spirit gives us the power to mediate the holiness of Christ because he is the Holy Spirit in us. God dwells in us through the Holy Spirit in order to produce holiness in us, even the holiness of our Lord Jesus Christ. And that is good news. Paul tells us what to do with this good news in Romans chapter 16, 25 to 27. Now to him who is able to establish, underline that word, establish. The word establish, it carries the idea to strengthen. God strengthens us in our belief. God strengthens us in our obedience. But Paul mentions another purpose for which God strengthens us in verses 25 to 27. Listen to it. Now to him who is able to strengthen you in accordance with my gospel, the message I proclaim about Jesus Christ, in keeping with the revelation of the mystery hidden for long ages past, but now revealed and made known through the prophetic writings by, by the command of the eternal God. Now here it is. So that, for what purpose? So that all the Gentiles might come to, to the obedience that comes from faith. To the only wise God be glory forever and ever through Jesus Christ. Amen. God strengthens us to share his gospel with others. God strengthens us to tell other people how God can dwell in them through Jesus. As the church, we continue the work of building the kingdom dynasty that Jesus was born to fulfill. So this morning, Maybe you're ready to have Jesus dwell in you for the first time. Oh, if so, reach out to us. Uh, send us a comment. Let us know that you'd like to talk about how to have faith and what it means to repent and be baptized for Jesus to dwell in us. But if Jesus is already in you, maybe today is the day you begin making yourself available to God so he can strengthen you to share this good news. Jesus. God in the flesh, dwelling in us, that, my friends, is truly, truly an indescribable gift at Christmas.